Good morning. How's everyone? Good. You guys are kind of here. That's good. That's good. My name's Eric. If you haven't met me, I would love to get to know you, help you uh, know our church. There's a welcome center out in the courtyard where we'd love to give you a gift, help you connect to our church, um, and see how you can <clears throat> find out more about what we're doing. Um, if you didn't know, this past weekend we had a conference here. We hosted the Resistance Conference. And so Vody Bakum and Justin Peters talked on kind of the, the prevailing thoughts of our culture and our world and um, some of the lies even being taught in pulpits and churches across America to help equip us and know what's going on from God's Word. So if you missed that, you can go to the Wrath and Grace app. Uh, it should be on your Android or your Apple App Store. And those sessions will be posted. You'll be like, hey, that's my church. That's right. And so we had over 500 people here and had a good and fun time. And so I'd encourage you, if you weren't here, to watch those sessions and uh, you will be greatly blessed. Also, you guys made it. You survived the storm out there that is camp. And so we thank you for your patience. And hopefully you didn't get anything dropped on your feet or knocked over or uh, yelled at or anything like that. And uh, we're excited. We're sending about 230 kids to camp this week. So we're uh, blessed for that. And we're going to pray for them, but also pray for the 40 volunteers. We're going to spend a whole week with them up there. And so uh, we're grateful for a church, you know, that uh, we've never had a kid not be able to go because of money. And so that's the generosity of our church, cares about kids knowing Christ and always makes a way for them to be there. So we're grateful for that. So I'm going to pray and we'll hop right into our text. Dear Jesus, uh, we're thankful for all the kids and uh, we just pray that they would get up to Hume Lake safely. Uh, we pray that uh, their hearts would be softened, that they would hear the gospel clearly, that the word of God would be taught faithfully. Uh, we pray that you would give the volunteers courage and discernment and wisdom. Uh, we pray for the kids who know you, that they would grow in their faith, that they would uh, take steps towards loving you more and knowing more about you. Uh, we ask that if there's an, a kid who does not know you, that you would draw him to you and that he would know you and love you. And we just pray for a great time that they're there. Pray for all the parents, uh, if they have any fear or anxiety about their kids being away, that, uh, that their soul would be at peace, that their spirit would be calm. And uh, we trust you uh, for those kids. We know that you love them more than we do. And uh, we just pray that you would speak to us through the text, uh, that you would be glorified by the text, uh, that you would equip our hearts to love you more, to know uh, who you are and what you've done, and just put a passion that burns inside of us to share all you've done. And as the text will tell us, that we would find great rest in the finished work of Christ. So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is one of those few texts where I beg Jesus to come back before I have to preach it. So, um, you know, it might be one of those texts where you're like, I don't know if I'm ever coming back to that church again. And so um, here's something Vody said that I, I latched on to that I hope makes sense to you. Is he said, you know what? I'm just the mailman. I don't write the mail. I deliver the mail. So um, we're going to teach the text <clears throat> as it is. Okay. And so as you're, you're going you're gonna to see something that's going to maybe cause you to wrestle, I'm going to boil it down to one singular point for you. And I want you to come back to this one singular point every time maybe there's a pause or a wrestle inside of you is ultimately, do we trust the Lord's judgments? 
Ultimately, that's what it's going to come down to. There's going to be things we say, why, God? How come, God? That doesn't make sense, God. And you're ultimately going to say, okay, God, I trust you. I can't wrap my head, my heart, my mind around what's being said, but I trust you. I know know what you've done through Christ. I know what you've done in me, and I trust you. Ultimately, that's where you're going to need to go. You're going to read that and say, God, and say, okay, I trust him. Okay, God, I trust him. Because the temptation will be to change the text, to change God, or to change Christ. And what we're going to see in this passage is Christ warns those who do that. We want to love Christ as he is, as he says, from his word. And please know that these passages aren't fun. But if you hang in through this passage at the very end, it should bless your soul. It should give you so much encouragement. It should give you so much peace. Um, And that's why it's there. So let's walk our way through this. So the first thing we get is a warning. So this is contrasted with Matthew 5, where Jesus starts off with blessings in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you're a citizen of heaven, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, these are your blessings. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And now he's going to start getting into, from here on out, the woes. Judgment upon you. Judgment upon you or curse upon you. Here, there's, there's two options. There's blessing, you're a child of God. There's curse, you're a child of Satan. And so this is now him speaking to the curse. He's lived there. He's preached. He's done miracles. He's cast out demons. He's done all of these things. And he's looking at their response and saying, this is <clears throat> what your response has yield, yielded. So let's look. Here we go. Verse 20, first verse. It says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Now I want to ask you a question. I think sometimes we get this principle confused, but the text makes it very clear. What was the purpose of the miracles of Jesus? Was the purpose just for him to do nice things for people who were in need? Because if that's the purpose, did, did the lame walk and did the blind see? Not a trick question. Yes. If that's the sole purpose, then why does he denounce and why does he give a warning? Because the goal was not for them just to be able to walk and to see. The goal was that they would repent and follow. You see, and I think sometimes we, we, we miss that, we divorce that. We think we're being Christ-like when we just do nice things to people. And it's always nice to do nice things. But the intended goal was that they would repent and follow Christ as king, as the son of God, savior of the world. And because that did not happen, they're being judged. If it would have just been about good things and nice things happening, then it's a success. People had a rough life and now they have a good life. Now, this, that sounds maybe mean or judgmental, but I want you to think about this. Would you rather, if you play this game with your kids, you'll be familiar with this. Would you rather be blind and go to heaven 
or C, and go to hell. Heaven, right? Because heaven is eternal. So praise God, Jesus came for the eternal purpose, not the temporal purpose. This is actually a good thing. Jesus came to solve the problem of how do we have eternal life with the Father. Now, it's not wrong to do nice things, but understand part of what's happening is the nice thing is to validate the message that he is who he says he is because he calls them to repentance. He says he is the son of God. And he says, I can show you what my words mean by my power, right? The miracle was an authentication that I am who I say I am. I am the son of God. I have the power of God. I will show you. So the work was an authentication. And that's how we need to look at benevolence as well. It's an authentication that we love you and we want you to know Christ. We're not just saying it. We're also giving you something. We're authenticating the message through an act of love. But our ultimate goal is that you would know Christ because we care more about your eternal soul than your temporary comfort on earth. Okay, So you look at that text. He denounces them because there was mighty works and there wasn't repentance. The ultimate goal is that they would repent, turn from their sin, turn from following idols, turn from following themselves, and follow Christ as Lord. Okay? So it's very important we see that because then when you look and you see the disciples and they do power, they have powerful works and wonders they're doing, it's authenticating the message that they're of Christ. They've been sent out by Christ. That Christ is who he says he is. Okay? And so if you look at the very beginning of Matthew, your key to that purpose is how does John the Baptist greet Jesus? He doesn't say, behold, the miracle worker. He says, behold, the lamb of God, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. Repent, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is here. Okay? So the purpose of the miracles is the repentance of the people. Now, he speaks judgment on them. He speaks judgment because they did not repent, because they literally saw the work of Christ in front of their very eyes. Okay, we're gonna read this slow, and I want you to process what's being said in the text. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I don't know if you're catching that, but that doesn't seem very fair. We live in a society, we live in a culture that says if I do not have equal opportunity, you have oppressed me. And it's not fair, it's not right. Isn't that kind of the common message we're hearing? Well, Jesus, can you think of a greater disparity? Jesus literally says, if what I did here would have been done there, they actually would have repented. Now, here's the question. Does Jesus have a problem with that in the text? No, he doesn't. He presents it as fact. Why is that? Because the opportunity they were given was sufficient. It's sufficient. They were given an opportunity. You read Romans 1. God's revealed himself in nature that every man might know that there is a God. You cannot look at the earth 
and not realize there is a creator. He now, for us, we get to have revelation of creation, revelation of Christ that he embodied, he come, and his word. But here he's saying, hey, they were judged. And if they would have had the same opportunity of you, they would have repented. Why is that okay? Because what was given to them was sufficient. It was sufficient. Now, I don't know if you process this, but do you realize we do not have the same benefit or uh, opportunity that they had because we didn't get to see Christ physically either? Now, do we get to say that's not fair? And I don't like God because if, if I would have had those opportunities, if I would have had those benefits, life would have been different. My aunt, my uncle, my cousin, my brother, my sister, if they could have seen, if they could have seen. That's not how God looks at it. And this is why it's very important. Okay, we kind of have to boil things down here, just very, very simply. There's three options. Everybody goes to heaven, universalism. Some go to heaven, some go to hell. Everybody goes to hell. Let's think about this. Everybody goes to hell. Is that fair? Yes. It's called justice. We've sinned against the holy God. Our just punishment is eternal fire, eternal death. We've sinned. For the wages of sin is death. Everybody goes to heaven then sin doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do, you go to heaven. Doesn't matter if you were Hitler or Mother Teresa, you go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. Judging by your faces, I don't think we like either option. So that means it's the middle option. Some go to heaven, some go to hell. Okay, so we've reasoned our way there. Now I want you to think about this question. Who should decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Who is the best decider? Are we the best deciders? Yeah, see, you guys are so much more alive than first service. First service was thinking about it. They're like, I don't know, I'm pretty smart, pastor. I don't even have to ask you the second question. My follow-up question was, what if we all got together and we took votes? And we voted on, right? But then it's like, well, how do you vote for yourself? And would you be swayed? It would be a mess, wouldn't it? Okay, so at the end of the day, when you, when you truly think about it, some go to heaven, some go to hell, and you want to trust God's judgment, not yours. Or other people's. Can you imagine other people determining your salvation? You would be a slave to them, wouldn't you? Okay. This is a broke system. It's a broke process. It's a process you do not want. It doesn't seem fair when you, when you take a cursory reading, when you take a cursory thought just at a glance, but when you press down on the options, Man, I just trust God. He knows everything. He's all powerful. He's all good. I trust him. What was given to them was sufficient. God had his reasons. I trust him. We're just scratching the surface on this text. Okay, let's go to the next one. Verse 22. But I tell you, It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. 23, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. 
For if the mighty works done in your day had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Look at that text. You're thinking, praise God, no one from Sodom and Gomorrah made it because they would be angry. What do you mean? If we could have seen Jesus, it might actually physically exist to this day. Jesus is like, yep, but it didn't. That doesn't bother him. Why? Because what was revealed and what was given was sufficient. It was sufficient. They were told to repent. They were told to change. They said, no, he judged. It was sufficient. And he's like, yeah, and if they would have seen, it would still remain. Now, the reason it doesn't, you don't see a problem in the text with it is because it's justice. Sin being punished by a holy, perfect, righteous God. And so it begs the question, if we don't, if if Jesus doesn't have a problem with what's going on, why do we? Why do we? Because we live in this world where, well, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not this. So then ask the question, do you want to be the one who determines who goes to heaven and hell? Do you think someone else should be? Because God is saying that it's sufficient. What was given to them was sufficient for the time that has been judged and it has been done. Now, look at the indictment. Look in the indictment. Can you imagine if you're talking to God and he points a man on death row and he says, if that man would have been raised in the church and given the opportunities that you are given. He would have done far more than you've ever done with it. It's not very encouraging, is it? Absolutely not. But this is the plain reading of the text. Okay? And you have different things going on in the text. He's mentioned Tyre and Sidon. They were powerful nations who had their own systems and their own philosophies. Read the Old Testament. They're warned. The message is preached. And they want no part of it. They're powerful and wealthy. They don't need to follow God. And God judges them and he gives them what they want, which is themselves and punishment. And then you have a wicked, just evil, morally corrupt Sodom and Gomorrah. Didn't want to change. One didn't see the need. One didn't want to give up its pleasure. And now he comes to Capernaum. I want you to look at this. Look at how this is phrased differently. Will you be exalted to heaven? Meaning, do you think you can work your way up to heaven? Do you think your works have brought you up to heaven? Let me tell you something. No, your works have brought you down to death. This is Hades, not hell. This is death, the place of death where the death where the dead would reign and be. Saying your work actually has brought you lower. It does not bring you higher. So this is the warning. Uh, In this text, you see this. Here's one of the fundamental problems. They're rejecting Jesus. Why? Because he didn't fit the mold that they had preconceived of him. 
We don't need this guy. You're not a king. You're not a savior. If you were a king, you'd have a crown. You'd have a throne. You'd have an army. You'd have a palace. I'm not going to follow this guy. I'm fine just on my own. There's a preconceived idea. Now, what's interesting is there's certain things they get right. There is supposed to be a throne and a crown, and that comes later. So what are they guilty of? Picking and choosing parts of the Old Testament, creating their own Jesus, their own Savior, and then telling Jesus he doesn't fit the mold. And Jesus says, woe to you. Woe to you. For you did not repent and follow. That is a great warning for us today. Are there parts of Christ that we just say, you know what? If God was really kind, he would, if he was really just, if he was really powerful, then he would. Yeah, the Bible, it's kind of old, so I don't think rules about marriage and gender, divorce and idolatry and adultery, pornography, that doesn't really matter. I, I think it's more like this. You're creating Christ in your own image and you're building your own way to heaven. And Jesus says, woe to you. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. So that is the warning. I want you to watch how this text gets transitioned. Okay, because here's the final part of the warning in verse 24. It says, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Why? Because he's saying, yes, they were evil, but they, they were told they had opportunity, but you are evil and you witness the work of Christ. It is worse for you. It is worse for you. There's the warning. Now look at this transition. Then Jesus transitions now to point two, right? The will of the Father or the gracious will of the Father, the Father's graciousness. It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. Those are odd words to come after that text, isn't it? Now you can see why I'm begging God to come back before I had to preach it, right? Like, what do you mean you thank the Father? These people have just been spoken in judgment. What do you mean you thank the Father? Let's keep reading. It says, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. He thanks the Father that Capernaum, and Chorazin, and Bethsaida don't understand and that his disciples do. He thanks the Father. And he says, 26, and yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And this is very hard in the text, but here's ultimately what you have to wrestle with. From the beginning, how does God operate? He picks Abraham and says, you. He goes to Moses, says you. He goes to David, says you. New Testament, Christ goes to the disciples, says you. Goes to Saul, says you're gonna become Paul, you. God chooses, picks, and sends. And so the question is, God, why, why Abraham and not fill in the blank? God, why not them? 
God, why, why Saul? He was a murderer. God, why Peter? He's, he's a bumbling, foot-in-mouth, hot-headed fisherman. Why, why the tax collector? He's taking money from Rome. Why? Why? Watch Jesus' response to this. Verse 26, 27, sorry. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. He's saying no one knows the Father except the Son. What is he getting at? Only the Son knows why the Father does what he does. We don't get to know those things. We don't get to know why them and not him. But if you're reading this text properly, you should, you should fundamentally see this. Why me? Why me? Why do I get to be saved? Why did, why did God love me? And the response should be, I have no clue. I don't deserve that mercy. I don't deserve that love. I don't deserve that forgiveness. And as when you have that understanding, you then thank the Father that he has made the hidden things revealed. And that heaven is your home. And that Christ is your Savior. This is why as you read Paul, he is very aware of his sinfulness. He says, me, the greatest sinner, the least of the apostles, the one untimely born, he understands that without the grace of Christ, there's no hope for him. There's no saving him. There's nothing he could do. So he is thanking the father that he is saved. He says, only the son understands why him, why them, why not him? Why? And instead of getting into why, because we are created beings, God is perfect and holy and sovereign and all-powerful and all-knowing. We will never completely know him the way the son knows him because they are uncreated, God and perfect. But he's saying you, you, you can know parts of him. He's revealed himself in the person of Christ. He's revealed himself in nature. He's revealed himself in his word. You can catch glimpses and pictures of what God is like, what Christ is like. And to that, we thank him that he's revealed those things to us. Now, if you're looking at this text properly, again, it's a thankfulness in us, but man, it should be great sorrow on what we see on others, that they don't know Christ, that judgment is their future. So this is what Jesus, this is how he transitions it. Thank you, God, for this design. Thank you that you have declared. Thank you that you have revealed. Thank you that you have shown them. And then he moves on, okay? All of this can be such a blessing to you if you hang with me through this last piece. Because this last piece is where all the gold is. It's where all the, the good stuff is. The other stuff is hard, but this is what should give you assurance, okay? Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, now, typically when we read that, here's the problem. We think what Jesus is talking about, we're out working our nine to five, eight to five, six to six, 
We come home sweaty and tired and Jesus has some iced tea and a nice steak and he's like, oh, come here and rest. Come here and rest. Jesus has got a nice bed for you and some refreshments. He's the divine host. Okay? I'm not trying to make fun of anything, but that's sometimes how this comes. But you're missing parts of the text. Okay, let's keep reading. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, not physical bodies. Rest for your souls. Contrary to popular psychology, there is a soul. There is a soul. And why will you find rest? I want you to think about this practically. What is he saying to Capernaum? You think You can ascend to heaven? You think you can work your way to heaven? Your soul will not find rest. Think about this. If you're saved by works, you can work your way to heaven. You can literally do what Capernaum is saying or trying. You wake up in the morning. You've hit the snooze button four times. You you look at the alarm and you realize you have five minutes to get to work. Right? Your wife asked you to take out the trash. The kids left all the lights on. So now you're, you're angry in your head. You probably want to commit murder. You're swearing. You're unhappy. You have a bad attitude and you're speeding to work. So you're breaking the law. You barely get in. Your boss gives you all this work. This guy's not doing his job. So you're angry. So you've, you've probably accumulated at least 30 cents. And you've just started your job. And so now it's time to go home. And now you're like, I'm 30 in the hole. I better pray I don't get hit by a bus because if I do, I'm going to hell because I haven't been able to make things right before I got home. And then as soon as I get home, I'm going to beg my wife to yell at me so I can be nice to her and I can move up. I'm going to tell my kids to kick me so I can forgive them. And then I need to find an old lady to help cross the street so that I can make this right before dinner. Right, Because as soon as I turn on the news, I'm going to get angry and want to yell at people and call people names and get dissatisfied. I'm going to be right back down. Then i got to figure out how to make that right before I go to bed. Because if there's an earthquake, tornado, or hurricane, and I die in my sleep, I'm done for. This does not sound fun, does it? This does not sound fun at all. This is why he says, your soul will find rest if you take on my yoke. Because if you are earning your way to heaven, it is heavy. And it weighs on you. And your soul is saying, I need to be saved, forgiven. I need to be at peace with my creator. And the soul searches and it searches and it searches and it weighs and it weighs. This is why you're like, oh my gosh, this isn't, this isn't working. Let's create something new. This is why the Pharisees and the Sadducees have 613 or 643, depending on what interpretation you take of the law. They keep adding laws. Well, I'll do this. That looks good. I'll do this. That looks great. Because here's the problem. Oh, I just helped a hold an old lady across the street. That's, that's got to be amazing. And then you look over. Wait, that guy helped five ladies across the street. Now what I did doesn't look so big. It looks small. Because there's always somebody smarter, better, more generous, more patient, more kind, more giving, more benevolent. And all of a sudden, your works become less and less and less and less meaningful. They become more normal. And well, and everyone's doing that. And everyone's doing that. And you become a slave to this cycle of you're trying to invent things to make yourself feel good about yourself. 
So you create systems. If I get invited here and, and if these people like me, and as long as I'm, you know, not cheating on my wife and, and not hitting my kids, because those are the standards, right? But anyways, you're like, I'm better than him. I just can't be last. I got to be first. Then another person passes you and another person passes you. And you're like, oh no, I got I to gotta do something more. This is why there's so many humanitarian benefits and reliefs. There's ministry to left-handed people, right-handed people, people with four toes, five toes, every country, animals, you name it, people invent it. Why? Because they're trying to bring rest to their soul because they're trying to evil out the salvation. They're trying to equal it together. And if you've finally come to the realization, I can never make it right. My soul is always heavy. I never feel loved. I never feel like I have meaning and purpose. I'm just done working. I'll just try to numb it. I'll just give in to my desires. That's Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll just try to bring so much pleasure to my life, my soul forgets. My soul forgets that it's a created being that has to give an account to a holy God. So I'll just bring pleasure and pleasure and pleasure and it'll help me forget. It'll help me forget that, that I'm not right with the holy God, that I'm at war with God, that I'm not at peace with God. So you either go through your work, Capernaum, or you go numb through your pleasure, Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus says, you, my little ones, my disciples, you will find rest. Because when you put your head on the pillow, no matter how many times you sinned, it's paid for. Your sins have been paid for. You don't have to try and run around frantically inventing ways to cause me to love you. I chose to love you in my graciousness. This is why Christ is thanking the Father for his graciousness in choosing these disciples. You go to the bed thankful. Now, you still, you look at your sin and you're like, man, God, I didn't love you here and I did this and I did this and I did this. What are you to deduce? That I need to love him more. That I need to die to my flesh more. Not to earn his love, not to earn my spot in heaven, but I want to respond to the gracious gift in a way that reflects him in a way that honors him. See, your behavior is a response to the gift. And when you fall short, you don't worry that he won't love you, that he's gonna trade you in, that, that, that he's going to put more demands on you, that he's going to love you less. None of that you have to worry. This is why the burden is light. That's why the burden is light. You're paid for, you're secure, you're done. You're his forever and ever and ever. But notice he's saying there is a burden. There is a burden. You're going to teach all that he commanded, right? That's the great commission. Make disciples, all nations. Teach all that he commanded. You will suffer. People are going to hate you. They're not going to like you. There will be a burden. You will suffer. But compared to hell, that burden is light. The burden is light. See, the yoke was something they would put on themselves to help balance a lot of things. And so you'd have to make sure it was equaled out so that you could walk. He's saying, there will be some things on your shoulders, but it's light. And the burden is not salvation. It's paid for. That's why his yoke is easy. 
and his burden is light and your soul can find rest. See, when, when you look out and you see that there's people that don't like you and no matter how much money you have or how smart you get, there's still this group of people that just don't like you. Your soul can find rest because Christ paid for you and he loves you. And those people never trump what Christ says. So you might not win everyone to your liking, but the one you need to satisfy loves you, called you, purchased you, and has given you himself and his home heaven for all of eternity. It's hard, but in comparison to hell, it's light. Now, when you look at this text, you're like, man, I just, I don't know, pastor. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's fair. I just, you know, why me? And I just don't understand. Take some time and read through Romans 9. And this, and this is ultimately where you trust the sovereignty of God. Romans 9 will walk you through, he is the potter and we are the clay. And the clay never gets to say to the potter, why did you do this? Think of it this way. You have a vase and the vase talks to you and it says, why do I only hold dead things? Why am I not a lamp? I could give light and help people. Why am I not a TV that people want to watch and be entertained by? You're a terrible creator. All I do is hold water that ends up smelling and make things die. You would tell the vase to be quiet. It's a vase. You're the human. The vase has no say-so. It will go where you want it to go. You might want flowers in the bathroom. You might want flowers outside. You want, might want flowers on your roof. You're the owner of the vase. And you will put the vase where you want, when you want, and how you want. Because you are the owner. Is that fair? It's more than fair. It's the creator. And for some reason that only the son, only the father knows. He has chosen to love you, reveal himself to you, give you his son, pay for your sin, call heaven your home, and allow your soul to find rest. That is why we are to be most grateful that Christ did that. We are to respond with the same words of Jesus. I thank the father that I am privileged to be one of his own. And then also I am burdened by the lost, that their soul finds no rest, that they run around from system to system, seeking love and purpose and forgiveness, creating new formulas and new entities so that they think they're ascending their way to heaven when in reality they're ascending their way to hell, just like the people of Capernaum. That it would burden our soul that they're working and there's no rest for them. There's no rest. They keep working and working and working and there is no forgiveness and there is no redemption. We would be grateful to the Father and burden for the lost and that we would follow him in this mission. Okay. Some things for us to think about. In what ways have you forgotten God's providence in your life? This is very important because this, the providence, how has God provided for you? How has he loved you? How has he saved you? We're worshiping right now and we're singing to the Lord and we're hearing, when we walk out, there's gonna be some heat, but there's not gonna be cops with handcuffs. 
That's a blessing, isn't it? Yeah. You have the word of God written in your own language. It's a blessing. You get to gather together as Christians and pray for each other, support each other. That's a blessing. You once were lost, now you're found. God provided. When we forget the providence of God, we, we have a hard time getting to verse 25. Thank you, Father. Because what we start to do is we think we've provided for ourselves, create our own systems. We're self-sufficient, self-sustaining. We're bringing heaven to God. We've brought ourselves there. Therefore, we don't need to be thankful. But when you realize all you have is the gracious, because of the gracious Father, you're, you're eternally thankful. Yeah. So how have you forgotten his providence? Two, how do you sometimes try to force Jesus into your ideal image? See, I would like to think that if I were a disciple back then, that I would have seen Jesus fall, fell to my face and followed him. But I think I would have been a Pharisee. I, I, would, I would have been that like logical brain guy going, okay, carpenter, born in a scandal, from Galilee, no crown, no sword, no soldiers, no palace, no angels. Yeah, I'm going to pass. See, they, they created their own image. And then they judged Jesus against it through only listening to part of the Old Testament. Because Jesus is the king, and he will rule, and he will reign, and he will have a throne, and he will have a crown. Read Revelation 1. He'll have a sword, and he will judge, and he will make it right, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. It'll come. But what they didn't read, what they ignored, suffering servant, crucified savior, the beaten with lashes, the blood poured out. So there are parts of Jesus, and this is what our culture does. They'll read a couple verses, God is love, and then they ignore his justice, his holiness, what he says about marriage, how he created them male and female what he says about divorce, adultery, fornication, lust, lying, envy. No, I don't really like all those. The Jesus I see just loves and just is kind. Jesus warns us to not do that because that's what Capernaum did. That's what Tyre and Sidon, that's what these, these cities are doing. They're fixing Christ in their own ideological image. We need to be make sure that the Jesus we love is the Jesus we read about in the Bible. That the Jesus we serve is the exact same Jesus that we see from Scripture. The sovereign king in charge of everything that we trust his judgments. That we follow him to the ends of the earth and we teach all that he commanded as he taught it, taught it as it is. Three, what warnings or commands do you need to take more seriously from the Bible? Again, our culture, it's like, oh, I don't have to listen to this part. I'll listen to this part. So Jesus is warning them, yeah, he did a miracle, but the miracle is so they would repent and follow. Can't just grab half the work, half the word. We're to turn from our sin and follow. He wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. Everything we have is to be captive and subject to his rule and authority. And again, you're not doing this to earn his love. That's why the burden is light. 
You're doing this as a response to the great work of Christ on the cross that he would pay for you and you are grateful and you want to love and obey him as a response to that great work that you don't deserve. That's why you are thankful. And therefore, how can you find rest in Jesus? There's some of you who still don't get this. You think, yeah, yeah, I have Jesus, but now I gotta go, I gotta show up to this event and this event and this event, and these people gotta invite me and I gotta be here and I gotta be there. And then all of a sudden you look over and someone's doing more and giving more and being more, and all of a sudden you feel rejected and hopeless and you feel like you don't matter and you feel like you'll never be enough. You're not finding rest that you're paid for. You are paid for. You can't be more paid for. It is one death on the cross. It is the finished work of Christ. You are forever his. You focus on loving him more. You do not compare yourself to other people. You do not look for the praise of man. If you get it, great. If you don't, it doesn't matter. You're responding to the finished work of Christ. The burden is light. Quit putting expectations in rules that Christ never put. She says the burden is light. But there is a burden. And that burden comes as we follow him. We'll be rejected and hated and suffer. We will go through persecution and hard times. Those things will be there. But you're not earning his love. The love is already there. Five, how can you keep your heart from getting hard? So look at all the different things. You don't want to create a false Jesus and then get mad at the Jesus of the Bible when he doesn't fit your narrative. It's a hard heart. You don't have a crown. You don't have a sword. A just God would let this happen. A loving God would let this happen. A kind God would let this happen. You get a hard heart because Jesus of the Bible doesn't fit your Jesus. So you get angry. You look at your sin and you're like, God, but this is so much fun. And it makes me feel alive and it numbs my pain. That's Sodom and Gomorrah. You want to be very cognizant of your sin and very cognizant of how you try to numb your soul through your pleasure. I say, no, 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 no. Christ is the king and I will follow him and he loves me and I'm forgiven. The pleasure is temporary. The pleasure won't be in heaven. The pleasure only numbs, it doesn't fix. My soul needs to find rest in the work of Christ. It is finished. I am his. You need to make sure that the Christ you love is the Christ of the Bible. And that'll help soften your heart. That a holy, perfect, righteous God would love you and call you his own, make you his child, and heaven would be your home and your sins would be forgiven. And the burden is light. Brothers and sisters, we have great rest in front of us if we would simply focus on the work of Christ and not the work of ourselves. If we would celebrate the work of Christ, not the work of ourselves. That is glorious news, amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. But we confess this is a very hard text. There are parts of it, God, that just seem that's not fair, that's not right. God, I don't understand. God, we acknowledge that there's so many things that don't make sense to us, but you command us 
to pray even though you know. You command us to share even though you decide. You command us to forgive even though they might not accept it. You command us to do these things. Help us do these things. Out of love for you, out of honor for you, out of reverence for you, that our Father has asked and we will do as a response to his love. God, I pray that we would leave here knowing that the burden is light and that we can rest in the work of Christ and the power of God and the sovereignty of God. You have all things under control. You're not caught off guard by anything. That we would just rest that you know what's going on and we don't. That we would just rest that heaven is our home. That we would rest that you know who's going where and why and how long. And we would just rest in the power and strength of your son, Jesus. God, I pray for anyone who doesn't know you out there that says, I need rest. I keep working and working and working. It's never satisfied. It's never whole. God, that they would cry out and that you would call them to yourself. They would ask you to forgive them of their sin, that they would accept the payment of Christ as their payment for sin and love you and follow you. And we pray now as we transition that we would just sing and worship through song, praising you and thanking you for the work that we don't have to do that we could never do. And we would be grateful. And in our rest, we would sing loud because of the joy that comes with rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.